0: Ladies and gentlemen and hockey fans of all ages, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Hockey Fan Chat, where we get to hear from you, the fans. I'm your host, Randy Dillon. In our latest episode, we get to talk about the Edmonton Oilers, but before we do, we want to give our condolence to the loss of Oilers Euler fan and Oilers favorite, Joey Moss, who was a big part of the organization. I'm very unfortunate to hear him go. Joining me in this episode, we talk about the Oilers' past, the struggles they, and some of the tenders from previous GM, the trades, some of the trades they made, the playoff series against the Hawks, and what will happen in free agency. Joining me is Oilers fan, B Sandu. Thank you for joining us, Noopy. I appreciate it. I know you're a big time Oilers fan, long time Oilers fan. I'm excited to have you on the episode. Thanks, Randy. My first question is, anyone who I would like to have on the show, I always want to know, why are you a fan of the team you cheer for? For the Oilers, was it the likes of Gretzky, Messier, all the other boys? Was it a different reason why? I grew up in Prince George, and they were always on a channel, like on ITV, which
1: was like a local Edmonton channel, like with Bruce Buchanan. I think Darren Detition actually got his start on a TV show on the same channel. They were on every Wednesday and sometimes Mondays and Fridays, and they were winning at the
0: time when I was a kid. Like I think I started watching them in 87. From there on, just became a fan. Being in Prince George, I could imagine the hometown market, Vancouver, What give you a little bit more of personal connection to being an Euler fan than cheering for the Canucks. The Canucks were on BC TV
1: at that point, but the Oilers were on every week, and plus they were winning, probably the greatest factor, the fact that they were on TV and they were winning at the same time. In 88, Gretzky got traded and still liked him. I was a big goalie growing up, and Bill Radford became my favorite player. So in the
0: 90s, just went with it. On that Euler dynasty, obviously all the talk is Gretzky, Messier, Coffey, Tikanen. Do you feel that some other players in that group should get a little bit more recognition? Or are those guys the guys who did all the work and deserve all the credit? 87, I was 7. But looking
1: back at it, like Craig McTavish was a big part. He's always been a big part of the Oilers. He should get some credit. But obviously Gretzky, Messier, Curry, the Hall of Famers, the skill—that's that, the reason they won. But Kevin Lowe was there, Randy Gregg. So there's lots of players that should get some credit for sure. But obviously Gretzky and Messier, and I think Coffee was gone for the '87 Cup. I think they got Craig Simpson by then. So even Craig Simpson, like they all get some credit.
0: I could imagine being an Euler fan, then they've run the final. in O six. It's just been a nightmare. Everything and anything has gone wrong for the team. Nothing worked. Any decisions they made, it seemed like they always found a way to backfire. Just explain to me, I let know, like how can you stay with the team where everything they're doing just unfortunately at that time is just going south or just like where do you like put your hands at to say enough enough?
1: Obviously as a fan, you don't really get to the point where you're gonna say enough is enough. In 06, they had Pronger. After that, it was just a bunch of different things. I think they started chasing after that. Like If you look at the team before that, they had like their own cap, so they knew how much they had to spend. Kevin Lowe make these deals that would end up getting them younger players that were hardworking. And in 06, when they got the cap, they ended up getting a, like, Pronger. They got Mike Pekka. I think that the deadline was like Samson off and in, and obviously they couldn't keep everyone. Pekka left, Pronger left and then after that I think they were just started chasing. They went and signed Bannock to an offer sheet. Didn't work out so then they went and signed Dustin Penner to offer sheet which worked out but by then the team just wasn't the same. I think after they traded even Ryan Smith they didn't get back what they could have with those draft picks. One of the first rounders the defenseman didn't pan out from there it was just a, a comedy of errors.
0: Even to this day, I feel like the major blow to the organization had been trading Chris Pronger because I know at that time there was some controversy of him and he was hated and he wanted to leave. But I feel like they never got enough in that trade. Fortunately, you can't replace a Chris Pronger. There's not going to be another one. They never, I felt at that time, really addressed the need for a defenseman. They were trying to load up their forward group and the defense was always left high and dry. and And the defense has always been a problem.
1: Can't blame him for leaving. He said he had some family reasons. Obviously, you're not going to get somebody back like him. It's hard enough to get a player like him in the first place. And then after that, I remember they signed Sheldon Surrey. So they did try to address it in some ways or have a defense by committee, but it just never worked out. And it just got worse and worse. It was just like kind of like being on the blackjack table. You just think the next card is going to work out for you.
0: Ken Holland's taken over the regime. Kevin Lowe was there since Glenn Sazer left. Kevin Lowe had a decent run. The team was competitive and they made the final in 06. But since then, like a GM really hasn't been able to put this team in the right direction. Jeff Tambellini run with a big disaster. Craig McTavish was south. And then Peter Shirelli. like some of the moves he did were just unbelievable, crazy-wise. Do you think Ken Holland is the guy that can take this team back to the promised land to make the team exciting to watch, make them competitive, showing they actually can compete? Or do you think it will be the same story again for the organization? I think Connor McDavid and Leon Dryside will be people that take it to the promised land.
1: When it comes to management, I don't really know. Like Kevin Lowe, I think he just started chasing. And then they got Tambellini, who I think they had one good year and the draft picks came. And then McCavish wasn't even there that long before they hired Peter Shrelly. And then we all know how that went. They had the one good year in the playoffs. He did some things well. Some of the defensemen that he picked are coming along well. Um, Holland will bring some stability and kind of just guide in the right direction. But I think that they're already on that path. I don't know the nicest way to put it, but it's more of just not messing it up.
0: Because I've always heard the biggest rumor is in the Oilers organization, it's termed the old boy club where the lot of the alumni, they get involved, they get to make decisions or tell the GM kind of what to do. And I feel if that's true, the only way Ken Holland can even make the team successful where there's no interference. Do you think that time had now passed or do you think there's still going to be meddling from the alumni in that case, or if there was even meddling? It's hard to
1: say. Like, we're not there, so you don't know how much they meddle. I know that like, Kevin is still part of the organization. Wayne Gretzky has a role in the organization. I'm pretty sure they probably give their input. Like, if you look back at some of the bad decisions Peter Sorelli made, Griffin Reinhardt right off the beginning of when he got there, did he uh, get some input from Craig McTavish in them? Yeah, for sure. He was his assistant GM. Taylor Hall, they traded him, which was a mistake. He probably got some input. At the end of the day, they're their own men and have to make their own decisions. Do I think people will be interfering with um, Ken Holland? Hopefully not. Hopefully he'll trust his assistant GMs and
0: use the organization that way. The only reason I bring it up, because I know in 2012, the Oilers had the first over pick, literally Ryan Murphy and Neil Yakupov. The year before, they drafted Hall, they drafted Nugent Hopkins. It made sense for them to go defensively, they decided to go in the way of Yakupov, where it did, in my eyes, I think, raise eyebrows saying there's someone else pulling the string. And I feel the only way the organization going to be successful if that's not the case because if you want to do one thing someone do the other it's just going to cause a mismatch and the panic and then I think people are losing belief and not even buying in at that point
1: if you look back at the draft I remember I think Yakupov's agent was Lirionov at the time he made some comments that he hadn't talked to the Oilers for so long so everybody even the day of the draft thought they were going to take Ryan Murphy and the story goes the ownership stepped in and said take Yakupov and then I think at that point it was the summer they were going to sign Justin Schultz Some people say they didn't take a D-man because they knew they were going to get Schultz. They're all just rumors. You look back at the draft now; Morgan Riley probably would have been the best pick, and he went to Toronto. And he was coming off an injury, so I don't blame them for taking Yakupov. He was the consensus
0: number one pick, and they always tell you to take the best player available at that time. Hard to say when a first-round pick gonna make a break. You can say that than an argument a break. I think it's easy enough to pick on a team like Edmonton where they've had so many first-round picks and say they didn't do it right, but teams have done it before.
1: If you look back, like Taylor Hall was a good pick. Uh, News and Hopkins was a good pick. Even go further back, Sam Gagne had a pretty good career. Jordan Eberle's had a, a good career. These weren't bad picks. Obviously, David, Oscar Klefbaum, a Dry Dreisaitl. We'll see how Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberg turn out. The first round is always the easy part, and I don't think they've done that bad in the first round. Yakupov was didn't pan out, but P.R.V. didn't pan out so far. But as that number four pick and that number one pick, um, all the teams, I would say, would have probably took that player. But in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds is where they were having a lots of issues. In pro scouting, trying to find players to surround the talented players they did have was very difficult for them. If you look at the year they went to the second round with Anaheim, they had a pretty deep team comparatively to the prior years. And that's what you have to do. And having players like McDavid um, and Dryfettle making so much money, you need to get young players into the lineup as quick as possible. Hopefully their scouting will get better and their draft picks will get better.
0: I guess as well, you look at the GM, the coaching has been a revolving door as well where... Craig McTavish, is the last tender coach. And it's a list of coaches in the last 10 years. So Pat Quinn, Tom Rennie, Dallas Aikens, Ralph Kruger. Ken Hitchcock now Dave Tippett do you feel that with the number of changes they make behind the bench do you think some of the younger players are less of a buy-in because I felt for a guy like Hall Eberle and Nugent Hopkins when they first started they were already on the third fourth coach and they were not I think the buy-in there at that point thing why are we should listen another guy might not come in do you think that has affected the progress of the organization as well or no I think it affects the players. It
1: affects the organization. It affects the fans. Every year, if you're getting a new coach, obviously there's new systems. Everybody wants to play differently. So I do think all that does take a toll after a while, for sure. When they did get Todd McClellan and Peter Strelli seemed like they were going to be there for a long time. They gave up some draft picks for them just for compensation. And obviously they had the one good year. And after that, they went south again. And hopefully this time with Tippett and Holland, they'll be around for a long time. But you never
0: know. Now, do you think in that time do you think they maybe should gave a coach a longer look like I felt like guys like Tom Reddy or maybe even a guy like Ralph Kruger they had a year or two to really try to help this team and they were with the team when they were struggling they never really got a chance to say can we take this team to the next level do you think those guys should have got more of a chance or should they give Eakins more of a chance when well, unfortunately his tenure just went south the minute it started they were just never a deep team for any of those coaches so you can't blame the coaches obviously with
1: having Paul Everly and Nuge there at that point when they played together sometimes they played well it's just never had no secondary scoring or some help on the blue line or even sometimes it was goal tending and coach would change things up and we just go downhill from there or they'd fire the gm and then he'd want his own coach i think ralph crew only had half a year because of the lockout from what i remember and i liked him he seemed like he was a good coach he just sometimes with the line matching i i found him frustrating but um, otherwise
0: maybe him i don't know about the rest of them mm-hmm, yeah Because you got to imagine when players go through that many coaches, like when do a player say enough or enough or do you even want to come to that mess? Because I think as well, like you have some of the best players out there and very talented players, but you don't want to get for free agents, you don't want to get stuck in that mess. I do want to ask about the Milan Lucic signing because Peter Shirelli brings his boy that helped him win a cup in Boston. I think there was excitement at the time thinking he was going to do great. And then a year and a half later, just a nightmare. What would you kind of assess for like a couple of years in Edmonton? or It's
1: an interesting question. I think there's always excitement with free agents. Like if you look back at like any of your favorite team free agents, even if you know it's not going to turn out well, you're always excited. I think Brian Burke always says that it's just a crazy day, quite a nicer way of putting it. And You know what, at the time, you didn't think he was going to fall off this quick. You, you would think he'd have three or four good years. The first year wasn't a bad year. And then the team kind of just fell off. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like, just depth. Like, sometimes he would sneak out there against a third pairing. When there is no third line on your team to help hide you, it gets a bit tougher. And then I think everybody thought the back end of the contract would be quite a deterrent for the Oilers. But he just fell off after that. And you hear rumors that there was, like, some other stuff going on. But I do think that signing led to other bad decisions. Trading Taylor Hall. Don't get me wrong, I like Adam Larson. He does the job there. Or even like later on, having to trade Jordan Eberle. I think they all go hand in hand, right? So it's a big sequence of events that make it look worse than it was, and you know, that's not Lucic's fault. You know what? Uh, they end up trading with Calgary. He had a good playoff, so hopefully for
0: his career, it'll turn around, and I think they're over it now. And How do you assess that trade between James Neal and Lucci? Because I think if you look at it, he brought exactly what the Oilers need. He brought in scoring... Obviously, the second half of the season was awful. He didn't get many goals. But in the first several months, he was brilliant. Scored about 15, 16 goals. He had a couple of goals in the playoffs. So do you think the James Neal trade overall for the Edmonton side was a success or a failure?
1: I think for both teams, it was a good trade. If you look at it now, kind of have to step back and not look at the money. If you look at the money, then for sure you're taking on more cap space than Calgary was. But at the end of the day, I think it, it worked out for both of them. Like, Lucic, I think, was on a five-game point streak. Neil was good in the playoff. Him, Chason, and Ujar were a good fourth line, brought an element to the game that Chicago couldn't match. And then during the regular season, he was hot for a while. He got injured for a while. He was good on the power play. And then if at one point I don't recommend it because they have so much dead cap space, they want to buy him out, it's a better contract to buy out than Lucic's contract. In that way, I think for them, it's a win. For Calgary, they get a guy. They always want a little bit of muscle in the playoffs. I think against Colorado last year, I think they thought that's what they were missing. We'll see how it goes. I think it's just 50-50. I'd just say it's good for both teams.
0: I think if the Oilers would have made the playoff one or two times in those years, I think it made a difference because that 2017, you go back, they played in San Jose. San Jose was still a big team at the time where birds were still throw around the body. they cut several big guys. Then you play Anaheim, which are still big and rough. And I think he felt it all the time. But I just think it was disappointing how it all went down. All the talk is McDavid and Dreisaitl, and it's well-deserved. But do you think there's another player on the team that maybe should get a little bit more credit on what they do? Because I look at maybe a guy like Oscar Klefbom, where when he's healthy, I feel like the defense does play much better. When he's not, they do take a little bit of a hit, but I think it has to do with a little bit more of committee. Do you think that another player or two who deserves a little bit more credit than they deserve or they've been getting? Or is everyone just doing enough? To this question,
1: yeah, for sure. I think a couple years, Clefbaum got hurt. The season went downhill. I think the year McDavid got hurt, Clefbaum got hurt a little bit later on. Season went downhill. He broke his finger this past year. They're lucky to have some depth now on the blue line, but yeah, it just moves everyone up. Clefbaum's on your first pair. Then there's no need for Nurse to go up there. Him and Bear are a good second pair. He's very underrated to the team, for sure. A guy like Nugent Hopkins, I don't think he gets enough credit. If you look at this year, him and Yamamoto playing with dry saddle, I think that made a huge difference towards the end of the year, and but obviously McDavid and Dreisaitl are the leaders of the team and the way they go is the way the team is going to go.
0: And I think it also showed the testament of how much better the team got where they got now a solid 1-2 option where I think in years past they've gone with McDavid and Dreisaitl at their one line where I think that we're teams team saying we can stop that one line. We have a chance of winning where now you have to deal with both of them. I think Dreisaitl had proven one at the time when he signed his contract there was questions about it but I think he's proven he's, he's getting underpaid at this point. At this point, you can say
1: that. But when the contract happened, I would say most people were saying that he was overpaid. But at this point, for sure, he's getting underpaid. He's the top five best player in the league, in my opinion. So,
0: I think you have to go back even to paying when the last players two win two hearts in, in close proximity with Crosby and Malcolm. So that's a special treat there to have that. them bring that gold. The Oilers going to playoffs, they were the favorite to beat the Hawks and it just didn't go that way from Game 1, an absolute nightmare, Game 2 of the McDavid-Drysaddle show, Game 3, a couple of bad breaks, and Game 4, Crawford stole the show. What is your kind of reaction to that series, and where do you think the series went wrong for the Oilers? You're correct in your assessment.
1: Game 1, I just don't think they showed up. I think in every game, they took the lead early, even Game 1, but Game 1 just didn't show up like the Blackhawks. Game two, they played well. Even game three, like I didn't think it was that bad. There's five minutes, 47 seconds left in the third. They tied it up. And then in the last minute, they scored again. And in game four, I just thought Crawford's just the best player out there. And that's just how it goes sometimes, especially in the playoffs. If you want to break it down, they just didn't get an extra save every game. I think their average was four goals a game. Goaltending had been good all year. I would say at some points it was great during the year. But in that series, they needed somebody to make a big save. I know the defense gets called out. Maybe they need to move the puck a little bit quicker so they're not trapped in their zone for a long time. But I was really disappointed in players like Cassian, Mostly him just kind of get going. I'm not sure if he missed the fans, just with um, all the adrenaline of having the fans there. But um, just no secondary scoring from that line for sure.
0: I wouldn't say Cassian was a disappointment. I think as well as other players like Yamamoto, disappointment. Anthony Sue and- and was definitely a disappointment. You gave up quite a bit to get him. Game one was very interesting because the, the pre-game they had against Calgary. They were engaged. They were ready to go. Maybe it was because of the battle Alberta. But just that game one against Chicago, it looked like they were just expecting to roll over the Hawks with a veteran team. And then just everything just started to collapse after Mike Smith just gave up the puck. And the Oilers, I felt, just couldn't recover after that.
1: I agree with that 100%. You know, you said A had one really good game. I thought Yamamoto was pretty good. He hurt himself in preseason. I think against Calgary, maybe. Or maybe in their last scrimmage game. Maybe that carried over a bit. But I really didn't have an issue with their top six. Like with McDavid, Nugent Hopkins. Uh, Ennis was there for a bit. Just Cassian. I just didn't think he would get going. By the end of it, I think he was playing on the fourth line. They had bumped Jujar up to the third line. So maybe just some more depth. If it was a seven-game series, they could have tried some other things. I think guys like Nygard and Haas played in the last game because someone was hurt. I think um, Sheehan missed one game, so Haas played. And I think he made a little bit of a difference just with that speed factor. We'll see. They'll build on it. We'll see how they do next year. I don't think they'll be blowing it up. I do think you'll see some changes for sure, but I think they'll just build on the season.
0: Look at the Oilers' free agency. I guess you can say it's kind of a win-loss scenario where they made some great moves acquiring guys like Tyson, Berry, Kyle Turris on very good deals. But then you look at them not able to address the goaltending where you look at rumored reports, they're offering guys like Mark Drum, Crawford, and Hopi big money. But they decide, no, what's your kind of take on that situation?
1: Free agency overall, I thought it went well. Like Hopefully, Barry will have a turnaround year. They're missing Clefbaum on the blue line this year, it looks like, for the whole year. So they needed somebody to quarterback the power play and make a good pass out of the zone. I think I read somewhere five on five, he was 10th in assists for a defenseman. When it comes to tourists, I wanted them to get better defensive center. But when tourists came available, I guess they might want to run three offensive lines. You never know, maybe he'll go in the wing and Nugent Hopkins might drop to the third line. Jesse P is back. I think that's their biggest wild card. If he can score and he can play on the first line or the third line, see how it goes. Um, and the goaltending, I don't really have much to say, to be honest. I heard that they offered from a big deal, which I don't think they should have anyways. It would have hamstrung them with a cap. They offered Hopi two years, big deal. I'm not that big of a Hopi fan at this point. And they offered Gricey and Crawford contracts, and they didn't want to come. I think it came down to Miller and Smith, and they went with Smith because they knew who he was. Five on five last year, Koskinen had a pretty good save percentage and pretty good goals of game. So I think they'll have to ride him a little bit more this year. Smith, he didn't play well in the playoffs, but he was okay during the regular season. Better than I expected, so let's hopefully he can keep it up. But with father time, you never know. It could just be an off year. They actually signed Forsberg as well, who's like the Carolina third goalie. I read somewhere they paid him 700 grand AHL and NHL monies. You never know; he could end up playing a few games.
0: I think overall, Ken Hall and he did a good job in his free agency. Jesse Puviar, because I find that interesting, because the reports were he was done in Edmonton, he didn't want to come back, regardless of who was in charge after the fiasco with Shirelli and him playing with Todd McKellen and Ken Hitchcock. And now it looks like he's going to get a chance in the top line because they didn't sign Anthua. Do you think Jesse Puviarvi can now be that legitimate top six winger they originally drafted for that can help put up goals? Or do you think it's going to be the same old story for him?
1: Good question. I'd like to think that he's going to be a top six forward, but I don't think so. I think he'll end up playing on the third line. He'll get some time with McDavid and Seidel for sure. But hopefully he can prove us wrong because he has a first-line talent. Just didn't think the game fast enough. Like, there are some games where he looked like fourth overall pick, making great plays. His five-on-five minutes with McDavid were limited, but they had good points per 60. Hopefully he
0: can, but I just don't think so. That's just my opinion. I think the big question going to be for him is hopefully playing over in Sweden. I think one, unfortunately, his situation in Edmonton, he got put into a really bad bot where the fourth overall pick, the high expectation, then they're in a salary crunch, and then he's under so much pressure to perform where I think his development kind of went south. All oh, the uh, turbulence, with the coach, I think him going over to Sweden will help. He got a chance maybe to learn a little bit more about the game. Hopefully that will help. If they run him playing with Turris, him, and Ennis like as a third line, let's
1: say, they'll be sheltered a little bit and it'll have a little bit of offensive flair. So hopefully that'll help him.
0: And I think you look at guys like Yamamoto as well, who I think who got time to develop and last year had a really big coming out party. So I think maybe with that time over swing can help. And
1: Tippett seems so. like he's better at developing young players than McLennan was. And I can just say like just on the Oilers, like with Yamamoto playing last year, Caleb Jones, Ethan Baer all making big strides last year. And then even guys from Europe that came over their first year's NHL seemed to do well. So hopefully this a different coach will help as well.
0: The second part I want to ask about this question is, Jesse plooby is in a very similar spot where Neil Yakupov was with his time in Edmonton, where he had a first good year, then after just went south. Do you think the Oilers should have went kind of this route with Yakupov as well? Let him go overseas, develop, play over there, then come back? Or was that already kind of a disaster already there that it would just be on repair?
1: If it was up to the Oilers, I'm not sure if they would have been smart enough to let him go over himself. I think he chose that, his agent chose that, which ended up being a good call on his part. I'm not sure how to even compare him to Yakupov. Different types of players... Yakupov struggled wherever he went after but they both seemed like they maybe just didn't think the game as well as people thought they did but who knows you mature this guy has a lot of size people with size and speed like that usually take a few years longer to mature so hopefully that'll work out so hard to compare situations every player is different when they had Yakupov their defense was horrible and they wanted him to check back defensively he probably has never done that in his life so it puts a lot of pressure on players that way now they have a little bit more security on the back end. You don't have to be the number one guy. You have McDavid and Dreisaitl, who are obviously the number one guys. So a little bit of sheltering there, less pressure. I don't think Yakupov had that.
0: Going on defense, Tyson Berry, I think that was a coup of a signing by Ken Holland, a $3.75 million, where there was a report he was getting offered some big dollars and He decided to turn down go play in Edmonton. They, Oiler, they still they to sign Ethan Bear, but if you look at their top six, Next season, hopefully, it will be Clefbaum, Larson, Bear, and Nurse. And it looked like the third pairing would be Ratho and Caleb Jones playing with Tyson Berry. Clefbaum's actually, they say, not going to play next year.
1: He has arthritis in his shoulder, and he might take the year off, might have a surgery. So I think that's why Tyson Berry decided to go there, because they were the only team. You hear rumors like Vancouver offered him a little bit more money, Calgary offered him more money. But Edmonton's the only team that could guarantee him number one power play minutes, because usually that's Clefbaum. So if he's not gonna come back, I'm not sure how the defense will look. I think it'll be an interesting dynamic. Let's say he comes back towards the end of the year for sure. Then they have a good top six, but without him, he usually makes the defense. It's gonna be shaky, I think.
0: That will be a big hurt because he did been one of their steady defensemen.
1: I think that's why Barry went there to replace him on the power play. One thing in Toronto was Barry shot the puck a lot. Clefbaum never shot the puck, he just distributed to the forwards and they took care of the plays. Barry will have to learn how to do that. Barry can make a better first pass, in my opinion, than Clefbaum at five on five. Hopefully that'll help. Defensively, Clefbaum's better. So let's say Clefbaum comes back, and then you can play Clefbaum with Larson, Nurse with Bear, and put Barry and uh, Jones on your last pair, and you have Russell as your seventh. Right now, you're looking at Bouchard as your seventh, and probably Nurse and Bear as your one and two. It's probably it's not looking the greatest.
0: Now, in that case, if Clefbaum doesn't play, who's going to get that spot? Well, do you think it's going to be Philip Robauer or do you think it's going to be Evan Bouchard taking that spot in Kleffbaum's place? In the lineup, if he doesn't
1: play. So if Clefbaum's not going to play, it's funny because like, you think of it, I don't know how it'll go because if Barry would have been coming from Colorado, you would just assume Barry would play in the first pair. But the type of year he had last year, you're assuming they're going to keep him a bit sheltered. And I think they'll probably play Nurse and Bear, they played well last year, and probably play Barry with Larson, and then Russell with Jones, and then if not,
0: um, have Bouchard up there. I think that'll be their seven. If he though, that's just a big load to the team. You look on paper now, this team finally I think has a decent defense they haven't had. I think probably you have to go back to the Oh six 6 run where their defense was solid like their defense in 2016-17 they got the job done but I think with questions about it I think on paper with a healthy Clef bomb this might be the best defense they've had in years
1: yeah 100% well, if he's back if he's not back mm-hmm. then I think it's going to be a struggle if he's back he makes that big of a difference where Barry can play on the third pair with Caleb Jones or with Russell and that's a legit top six
0: with the goaltending, do you have enough faith in Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen to get the job done? Because I think we look at the regular season, they were fine. I think the playoffs were disappointing. The big game, the big situation. Mike Smith, unfortunately, had a disaster game one. Miko Koskinen giving up rebounds, couldn't make that big save. And the Oilers, unfortunately, were in a situation, deciding to go with Mike Smith with one, you said, familiarity with Dave Tippin, the organization. Do you think this tandem can get the job done again, or, or do you think it's going to be more of a question mark?
1: I have lots of faith in Koskinen during the regular season. In the playoffs, I thought he played okay. He just couldn't make that one big save. I think the biggest mistake was letting Mike Smith start game one. If you just go back to last year, you'd have to say you have faith. But then, you know, I think it was Craig McTavish that always said, if you're always wondering if you have a number one goalie, you really don't. Maybe you don't, but I think for this year, they'll be fine. And then we'll see what happens next year. I have That's a little bit more questions start. about other parts of the roster. Like, if Class Bomb's not back, what are they going to do defensively? Like, how, how will they be, like, will Barry and Bouchard be able to step up? They lost Benning. They don't have, like, a natural defensive third-line center or a fourth-line center. They're going to lose Sheehan this year. So we'll see how that goes, too.
0: I think with the defensive center, one player I'm looking at, I think that can make a difference and play that. And the regular thing that he got moments, I think he did really well with Gaetan Haas last year. I think he really showed, especially in the fourth line when going out there, he was able to play defensively. He was able to win those face-offs. I know Riley Shan was in and out of the line-off with injuries. I thought he was the perfect guy in that spot.
1: He's a great fourth-line center. Maybe another year over, he'll be a good third-line center. He's got a lot of speed. He's got some skill. He just doesn't play that big. I think in the playoffs, they had Jujar back there on the fourth line instead of him, and then Sheen got hurt, so then they put Haas in there. I do have a lot of faith in him, and even with uh, Nygaard, who was hurt. Hopefully that works out.
0: Comparing the regime the year after they made the playoff from Ken Holland this year into what Peter Shirelli did after they made the playoff, do you have enough faith that Ken Holland does have the Oilers on the right track? This team is finally seeing progression rather than digression? They've disappointed me a lot as a
1: fan, so I won't say that. I have no idea. Next year, they have a lot of cap room. I think they have like 29 million coming off the book. I think next year, he'll have a better chance to make it his team. Sometimes you hear these ridiculous rumors like the seven-year, 35 for Markstrom, six-year, 30 million for Hoffman, and you kind of wonder, like, do they really know what they're doing that way? Like, I think they really need to use that cap room and get a first-line winger for McDavid. He's playing with Cassian this year and Ennis. Maybe Cassian and uh, James Neal might be up there. I'm not sure who will be the first line winger. They're going to need cap room for that.
0: The Hoffman rumor is just crazy. I think you look at the rumor saying he's not a good support in the locker room. For the goaltending, though, for him addressing that, I think it's important because you've seen this over the last 10 years for the Orders or more. The last legitimate goalie was Rolison and he had bad defense. And I think you look at a guy like Markstrom or you look at Vancouver, they had a good year. But I think people that watch that team closely could say the defense was not the best. He bailed them out. I think Markstrom would have solidified that goaltending. But you are right thing you got to be smart with the cap and you can't issue. So we'll see what they do. I think there'll be some good goalies out next year as well. So maybe he'll address it. Yeah, they actually have two good younger prospects, but they're on the young end.
1: There ones that was just played his first year in Russia after he got drafted, and the other ones played in the queue. So they're a little mm-hmm. bit off on that end, and it'll be interesting. He gave out some bad contracts in Detroit, so it's kind of scary. And If you look at Peter Shirelli, when he was in Boston, he gave out some bad contracts, and he kept doing the same thing when mm-hmm. he came
0: to Edmonton. Any GM, I think, has given out a bad contract here and there. I think also, as well, we're dialing in with Ken Hall, I think the one thing he never had to worry about Detroit was goaltending, because he had Hasek, he had Joseph people just came lining up and then howard morazic i think that was the one thing he never had to worry about Where in edmonton he has to look at it figure yeah out. Howard, yeah sometimes they just came
1: we'll see how it goes if Coskin can do it we'll see this will be his last chance to prove it i think he probably knows that he only has two he years but like- one year after this year this will be his last year because if he doesn't prove it this year they're easier to trade him or buy him out so mm-hmm. we'll see I'm not worried about the regular season. I'm not going right. to lie. It's just more the playoffs. Like they were in second place, just a little bit behind Vegas going into the playoffs so over a, a good sample size of 70 games. So I'm not worried about that. I'm just more worried about a little bit of the blue line, a little bit of a checking line center.
0: The big question going to be going in next season is going, you say, Clef Bomb, is he going to play it? Because that's just going to put a hole in defense. But let's say hypothetically, Clefbaum does play. Everyone's healthy, ready to go. Do you feel the Oilers are good enough to compete with the like the Vegas? Obviously, Calgary did a little bit to get their team better. Vancouver improved. Do you think they're gonna be showing they are one of the, the better teams in division? Or is it gonna be the same old story where they kind of fall off?
1: I think they will. Obviously the- Vegas is the cream of the crop. Edmund played them well this year, to be honest. Peter Angelo obviously um, makes the team a lot better, but I think with the Battle of Alberta, they always have good battles against Calgary. They're going to be in, it looks like it's going to be a Canadian division. So I'm really excited to see that, to be honest. We'll play Montreal, Toronto, a little bit more freewheeling all year. So I I think they'll be fine that way. I'm not worried about that.
0: Before I let you go, Noopy, I would like to ask anyone who comes on this show, what's your favorite moment of you being a team you cheer for? So what's your favorite moment of the order? Was any of those late cup wins? Was it something in the 06 run? Sam Gagne's 12-point games come to mind for me. Jordan Eberle's first goal was pretty amazing. Everything you witnessed, what is one of the moments as an Oilers fan you'll never forget?
1: Uh, there's lots of moments, obviously. When they were playing Dallas back when I, I was in high school, those were big moments. Like Cujo was there, the Marchant goal. I used to be a Dougie Waite fan. So those teams I grew up with uh, were big moments. Even with this team... Like, not the greatest memory, but like the year they made the playoffs, I went watch game three and game four in San Jose. They won one, one, nothing, lost one, seven, nothing from what I remember. And then same time, game five in Anaheim, where the Ducks came back and, and beat them. So all those memories. And I can't think of one, maybe would have to go back if I had to really pick one, would be um, game five of that Stanley Cup final when Pisani scored
0: the overtime winner, maybe. You can't argue with that moment. Down short-handed, down 3-1 this year. That was just a big, huge momentum. Role. And then I guess the question will always be, what would have happened if rollison didn't get hurt or Ty Coughlin never played the puck wrong? Yeah. I think that could be the argument. I don't really like to get into hypotheticals, but I remember years
1: later, I can't remember what year, I think I saw Chris Pronger on, it was Jim Rome, I think. And um, they asked him and he said, there's no doubt in his mind they would have won the cup that year. And in my mind, Really, there's no doubt they would have won the Cup that year for someone that got hurt. I know things could happen, but they were just on a
0: roll. Well, Noopy, I appreciate the insight you've given us about the Oilers. It's going to be interesting how this next upcoming season is going to work for them. If these moves will be right for the organization, will Oscar Clefbaum play? And can the team finally take the next step in the right direction? Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Randy. I'll talk no to you Take care, Noopy, We will talk to you soon.